Hello and welcome back to your favorite cultural podcast. That's right, it's time for the first and beer cultural podcast. So if you're over the age of 21, go grab a cold one and crack it open. You may need it during this uh, episode. If you're not over 21, well, crack open a soda or uh, your favorite uh, non-alcoholic beverage of choice and enjoy the episode as well. Uh, today, uh, obviously, the main topic of discussion is going to be the announcement of the Big Ten and Pac-12 uh, canceling their fall 2020 seasons. Uh, the remain the other three Power Five conferences uh, are still going on, but will that hap- Will the season happen for those conferences? Uh, we'll talk about that all today. Uh, and as always, I'm joined by Anthony Azan. Uh, so let's dive right into it. And with that, uh, let's start off, Anthony, with uh, the biggest news of the week, which was uh, uh, Tuesday afternoon when uh the big 10 and pac 12 both officially announced that they were going to be uh postponing canceling and however you want to say the 2020 fall season uh that was after monday in which uh rumors started coming out that the big 10 was reportedly going to cancel uh the big 10 came out denied it coaches came out saying they think uh, their programs are doing everything they can to stay safe they showed numbers uh, they were asking possibly for a delay of the season, not a cancellation. It seemed going into Tuesday, everybody uh, around the college football world thought a delay was likely, not a cancellation. Big Ten decides, however, to cancel. Um, it wasn't a unanimous, unanimous vote, uh, we know, but um, still Big Ten cancels. A couple hours later, Pac-12 cancels. Um uh, what was your overall uh, thought process uh, Monday, Tuesday? Um, were you shocked that they went with the cancellation instead of a delay? Um, at first, I wasn't. But as it got closer to like their meeting and their announcement of it, I really thought personally that they were going to delay it a little bit just because of the brushback they had gotten from coaches, from players, you know, James Franklin, Ryan Day, Jim Harbaugh, like the big names in the Big Ten in terms of coaches, they had all come out and said, you know, we think that we need more time. We still think we can do this. We just need to get more information. We don't want to cancel. I thought maybe them plus some of the higher level players maybe would give them some pause, but clearly it showed just how little power they have in terms of everything, in my opinion. And uh, they just decided that they were done with it and they were just going to cancel. You know, whether that was the right decision uh, time will tell because if the other three conferences play and get through a full season, this is going to look really bad for the Big Ten and the Pac-12 in the grand scheme of things. But if those conferences do end up canceling in the next couple of weeks, they're going to look pretty smart and say, you know what, we knew it all along. So if it was the right move, only time will tell. But I think um, it's been trending this way for a while pretty clearly, especially with the Big Ten and the Pac-12. And we'll just have to, just have to see from here where it goes. Yeah, I fully agree uh, with that, especially with if the other schools uh, do end up canceling, which I don't know about you at this point. I feel like it's likely that we see all uh, the Power 5 Conference eventually cancel uh, just because, I mean, we were we had these in our num- our discussion uh, or whatever you want to call it, but notes uh, like – Notre Dame already uh, returned to campus this week. Uh, they've already had, uh, as a hear from the South Bend uh, Tribune, uh, when the University of Notre Dame had returned and students tested for the coronavirus before allowing them back on campus for the fall semester, 
just 33 fewer than half a percent of the nearly 12,000 tests came back positive. But in a one-week span from August 6th to this Friday, the university reported 29 cases of COVID-19. Uh, and of the 348 tests conducted since August 3rd, more than 8% have been positive. Um, out of 348 of those tests, 160 were performed on students and staff members with the football program. But, I mean, South Bend or University of Notre Dame, who, of course, is playing the ACC this year, has already seen a small outbreak on the campus within um, a one-week period. If that's happening on one campus, that's going to happen throughout the country on multiple campuses. You can practice social distancing, I think, all you want. You can wear masks all you want. But it all it takes is one person not to do either of those, and an outbreak occurs. And that's one reason I think all conferences are going to end up canceling. And two, most schools are not going to be in person by the end of September, probably. Yeah, and that was always the big issue that I had with canceling the season is if you're going to cancel the season, why are students still going back to campus? And you're seeing it with a school like Notre Dame, which is obviously a big college town. You know, schools can't control what happens off of campus, you know, with off-campus apartment living. Obviously, for most kids, as they become juniors and seniors, maybe in some cases sophomores, they move off campus into apartments. And usually that's fairly close to the campus, so it's easy for them to walk to or it's not a it's not a long trek to their classes. But, you know, schools have no authority to control if those kids come back. They can advise against it, but that's up to the apartments itself. But the on-campus living, they do have a say in. And, you know, I they can limit severely like how many kids are on campus you can cut at big schools 10 to 15,000 kids easily which makes it a lot easier for athletes to separate themselves from that student body and protect themselves against the general students which let's be honest as much as they can sign stuff or swear they're not going to do stuff they're going to congregate I mean and yeah going off that uh, Auburn uh, two Auburn players today on uh, Twitter uh, wide receiver Anthony Schwartz uh, Schwartz and uh, Cam Stutz uh, both complain about Auburn students uh, not wearing masks nor social distancing. Uh, Schwartz uh, said today, uh, you all said it's safer on campus, but I've seen crowds of people and none of them wearing masks. Don't get me started on how downtown was last night when I was driving through. And then um, let me pull up Stutz's uh, tweet here. Um Stutz said, um, while you're looking for that, I will also say that Anthony Schwartz in that tweet, obviously the really, really fast receiver for Auburn star player in the making. He said that, you know, the Auburn staff has done everything possible with health protocols. Yeah. This is not a reflection of Auburn and what they've done for the athletes in terms of safety and protection. This is just completely about the student body. But yeah, you can read it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He, 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 point out that the football program has been uh, doing a great job with uh, their COVID-19 prevention. Uh, but again, this just shows uh, that uh, the problem may not be football programs and maybe the general student body. And then um, Cam Stutz um, said, uh, boy, it's not a single person wearing mask on campus. Somebody asked him about inside buildings. He said he hasn't been in any buildings besides the facilities, 
but the bars are definitely not a good place to be, obviously, because everybody is uh, not wearing masks, not social distancing. I mean, I saw a report last week from the University of North Carolina about a sorority who was uh, not who was out and about, not wearing masks, not social distancing. I mean, sure, it's only maybe four or five people or, or a small group of people not following guidelines, but like I said earlier, all it takes to get an outbreak is one person, one group of people not to follow these guidelines or rules, restrictions to cause an entire outbreak in a campus. And then you think about it, people are going to get sick on campus. Pro the general student body is probably only being tested if they're showing symptoms. So we have no idea who's actually asymptomatic. And that means if school is shut down because of an outbreak, hundreds of asymptomatic people could be going back to their homes and spreading it back into their communities. I mean, um, if we have a major outbreak nationwide in, uh, what is it, today's August 15th, uh, a month from now or less, like, I'm not going to be shocked. And it's why I, I think college football isn't going to happen, as I've been saying. Yeah, and that's been the whole argument to date has been where are these athletes safer? Are they safer on campus or yeah. are they safer back home? And my answer to that is they're safer on campus if the other students aren't there. And uh, I'm going to pull up yeah. um, what we have here about Oklahoma. Just today, Oklahoma reported nine players tested positive for COVID after they returned to campus. So Lincoln, Lincoln Riley allowed them to go home. I think they had like a week off from practice. So they were able to leave campus if they wanted to. I think like a decent percentage of them did, but not all of them. And nine of them came back that left with a positive test. So that's a great argument for if they stay on campus in a bubble per se, they're safer there, even if they're practicing and playing football, as opposed to going back home into their own communities where it's a little more likely that they'll get it. But if students are on campus and they're surrounded by a bunch of people who are just doing whatever the hell they want, that argument kind of goes out the window. So I really do believe that if we want college football, we have to send the students home. Yeah, and I, I just I, I don't think that's going to be an option at the end of the day. And uh, it's it, it's frustrating. Uh, it, what I'm more frustrated about is like I. I, I think you could have asked pretty much any person with a brain uh, this year about if how send students back to college was going to work. And the answer is it's going to work horribly because, I mean, you and me just graduated college. We know how college students think. They're young and they're dumb. They, they, we, they, most college students don't take anything seriously. Nope, we don't. <laughs> And, you know, I, you said that young and dumb, and I was like, that described me pretty well in college, so. Like, like I, I would say that I've taken coronavirus from the start pretty seriously. I was probably one of those people who even overdid stuff at times in terms of precautions. But be, beyond that, I mean, I think no matter where you look around at any college campus this year, there's going to be large groups of people uh, gathering. I know, I know colleges are outlawing a certain type of events and stuff but college students are always going to find a way to party 
and it's it's disaster waiting to happen. Um, but let's get back to football. Um, while the Big Ten and Pac-12 have canceled, um, the ACC, Big 12, and SEC are still pushing on for a season, and uh, multiple group of five uh, conferences are also pushing on for a season. I don't have all of them uh, on here, but uh, generally, pretty much, if you're a conference that has uh, a good amount of, of membership in the South, you're playing college football as of right now. Pretty much everything out west and north have canceled. Um, I don't think that's shocking if you look how uh, states have handled the COVID uh, pandemic generally. Take that forever, however you wish. But, uh, I mean, no matter where you look, Anthony, it, it doesn't look good for these three conferences. And I think uh, the statements these conferences have been making the last few days uh, shows that they're not 100% committed as some people may make it out to be. The, w- the way they're phrasing their statements is as of right now, they're pushing forward, but it's I, I, I don't think any of these conferences are going to end up playing. Uh, I think we're going to get to a point maybe closer to when the seasons were going to start, but it I think it's going to end up canceling. I think the reason they're not canceling right now is because uh, the Big Ten and Pac-12 received a lot of backlash for canceling early, especially only six days after releasing a schedule. People are like, you didn't even try, uh, so on and so forth. It, it's, it didn't look good PR. Now, like you said, if all the other conferences cancel, it looks good for the Big Ten and Pac-12. But if they also play on a season and have nothing go wrong, then the Big Ten and Pac-12 are going to look foolish. Absolutely. Um so, I mean, what what do you think, what is your percentage right now that these conferences end up playing this fall? Hmm. That's, a, that's a good question. I really haven't thought of that. I'm going to go with, as, like, as of right now, I'll go with 30%, and that might even be a little 30, high. But, yeah, I, I think I'm probably between the 15 and 20%. I think it may be even lower, but part of me thinks um, – they may be just stubborn enough to try it. Like, uh, and here's the thing. I'm not advocating against no football. Like, you know better than anybody else. Like, I, I want football to happen. Uh, I, do I think it possibly probably should happen? I don't know because I don't know the full facts of COVID and if football is going to – how it's safe our football players and, like, all the heart issues. Uh, I know it's – it's been an issue in multiple viruses and it's something that's been around forever, but like, I don't have enough facts. Is it a hundred percent safe? Absolutely not. But I mean, I, I just, I think it's probably better safe than sorry, but I know the financials of it make it hard to cancel a season. Um, but at the same time, I, there was an LSU. Uh, I'm trying to think what her exact title was. She was a, she's the lead medical expert, I think, for uh, at LSU, and she said that uh, playing football this year is not going to increase, I think, uh, players' chances of getting COVID. Uh, so, 
I mean, I think there's arguments for both sides, but I think, this, again, it comes down to... Uh, I don't even know how to put it. Like, do you, do you have any idea what I'm trying to say here? Not really, no. I'm just trying to process what what you're trying to stumble yeah, through. Well, but listen, listen. It can be summarized in just these four words, Dylan. It just means more. It, it yeah. just means more in the SEC. And clearly they're proving that it, it does. does because... You know, they're not even hesitating. Like, the, at least the ACC and Big 12, they're kind of, like, teetering, like, eh, should we, shouldn't we? They're leaning, should we? But, you know, there's arguments for both sides. The SEC is just like, fuck it, we're going. Like, we don't care what anybody says. We're having a season, and we're, we're playing football. So, you know, more credit to them, whether or not it actually happens, who knows. But, you know, there, there's arguments after, for both sides. After stumbling through all that, I think the best way to summarize what I was trying to say in a really roundabout way was – for the other three conferences is the risk of at worst case a player dying or players dying worth the season and the money you would generate from that season and that's is the risk worth it yeah that's up to each individual conference to find out and uh clearly exactly clearly there's going to be bumps in the road i mean no conference if they do play they're not going to be without cases you know that you just got to hope that yep. they're contained and that they're yeah. resolved quickly. And if that happens, and there's only little pockets of cases at each school, then these conferences will survive. But if you know you have cases that spread across teams and it becomes a big issue and you know it blows up in each area, then the season's going to blow up on us. So yeah, and and we've seen a perfect example at baseball. I mean, most teams have been fine, but the Marlins and Cardinals have reportedly. Uh, gone out after games or on uh, yeah during after games and uh, we saw outbreaks on both teams and they got out of hand really quickly the Marlins had like 18 uh, people within their team test positive and um, the Cardinals had I think upwards to 20 as well so it, it all comes back to, back down to how much the players are committed to it how much they're willing to get how much really individual freedom they are and they're willing to give up in their everyday lives to play a season. And then it comes back to as much as they give up those freedoms and want to stay safe. Is it even possible with the general student body still on campuses? Who knows? But back tracking to the big 10, it's safe to say the big 10 isn't going down quietly here. Um, in the last couple of, uh, I think they are so. Uh, Big Ten parents are uh, fighting back against the conference uh, decision. Uh, they want to know what happened in those six days between the schedule release and the decision to cancel the season. Um, because with that, the Big Ten hasn't released any an question, answers to questions about eligibility or anything like that. And parents really are fighting uh, the Big Ten on this, asking them to reconsider the decision, and if not, provide answers on uh, the questions that everybody has. And so far, Iowa, Ohio State, Penn State, and Nebraska uh, are all uh, all have or are all in the process of uh, writing. Uh, their parents are in the process of writing letters to the conference. Uh, so there's a little bit of a movement happening here again in the Big Ten. Uh, I mean, I don't think it's going to change the Big Ten's decision. Um, what about you? Yeah, the Big Ten's already proven that 
the coaches and players hold little water in terms of what decisions they're going to make. Um, like I said before, the big the big names in the coaching world, James Franklin, Ryan Day, Jim Harbaugh, they've all stepped up and said, we don't want to cancel yet. And Kevin Warren pretty much gave them the finger and said, we're going to do whatever we want and we want to cancel. So, you know, so be it. Mm-hmm. But I give the uh, these parents credit, you know, they're they're not going down quietly here. You know, they're trying to advocate yep. for their sons, you know, and, you know, these coaches, I, I feel really bad for them because they're basically having to come back to these these parents and to recruits and the players and pretty much say, we don't have answers. And I think that's the most unacceptable part of all of this. If they had canceled and they had had a full out thought out plan for all of these things and had these questions answered already, the, the backlash wouldn't be as bad. But it's just the fact yeah. that they haven't thought about any of this. They haven't thought about eligibility. They haven't thought about scholarship numbers. They haven't thought about transfers. It they, they had no plan for this and they just made a decision without thinking it through. And I think that's completely unacceptable and I get why the parents are upset. I mean, that that was James Franklin's whole thing when he went on ESPN's like, get up. He was saying like, he's not advocating for a season or against the season. He just, he thinks if they're going to make a decision, the best decision to be made was to delay the season because there was still a crap ton of decisions or questions that had to be answered. Uh, and there's no there's no answers for any of those questions then, and there's still none. And we are gonna we're gonna be closing on five days since that uh, decision. I mean, they're really good questions. How's eligibility gonna work? How is we can go on 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 and on about questions, but there's a lot of questions to say the least. And I mean, I good for these parents for uh, really demanding these answers. I don't know if they're going to get them, but what else didn't help the big 10? I just thought about this is Kevin Warren had obviously a press conference an interview following that decision. And it was one of the worst press conferences I've ever seen out of somebody in his type of leadership role. He, he did not answer any questions. He danced around everything. His favorite word was uncertainty he, he went out there and gave nothing of substance of why the decision was made. Um, the other thing was, I mean, it. And the one thing I agree with is if there is a medical finding that the Big Ten found in those six days that they're like, we cannot have this season, the Big Ten, I feel like, has a duty to share that finding with the rest of the country because if they don't think it's safe for their athletes to play, then they need to share that with the other conferences because maybe the other conferences with that study won't find it safe. And uh, high school football is still happening in parts of the country. It will be useful for those people too. I mean, if it's that substantial of evidence, I think it has to be shared. Um, I don't think we'll do that. I think the Bay 10 is just going to say we don't need to release that information. It's our decision. I think that's fun. I think every analyst, every expert has covered this already, but I'll reiterate it now. The most upsetting part of all of this is that there has been no unity in any decision top to bottom, whether it's between the power five conferences, whether it's, you know, the NCAA actually stepping up and being, you know, the head of all this, whether it's the individual conferences between the athletic directors and the coaching staff and the players, there's been no unity at any level 
And that's why we're in the position we're at today. There's been no sense of leadership or, you know, nobody's come to a general consensus. It's just all been individual pieces making decisions. And that's why we have this blowback. So, you know, that it sucks. Uh, yeah, I fully agree on that. Um, let's see what else on here. Um, I, I guess the one thing we could talk about is um, with this decision, we saw Nebraska teetering in hot water with the Big Ten, I would say, uh, as they were saying that they were going to possibly look to play football elsewhere this fall. Big Ten came out and said if they do that, you're simply not in the conference anymore. Um, and this is late. Uh, many people bring this up, and I want to bring it up. Um, could this be the end of not the end, but this beginning of the end for the Nebraska Big Ten relationship. Since Nebraska entered, uh, they haven't really provided anything of substance to the Big Ten. It's clear that relationship isn't exactly smooth. Uh, so could this be the beginning end of the Nebraska and the Big Ten? Could they move back to the Big 12? Could they move to the SEC? Uh, I mean, I think it's something worth talking about by the end of the day is Nebraska going to simply pass up the money from the conference that brings in the most money I don't think in the short term I don't think in the short term this is going to cause any rifts or anything or it's not going to create the complete demise of Nebraska and the Big Ten but in the long term this this could potentially be a catalyst for Nebraska to start looking elsewhere and I think it's been really interesting how you know Big Ten coaches have said for this fall besides Nebraska we're going to consider all options for playing. You know, James Franklin said that on uh, Get Up on ESPN. Ryan Day has said that on multiple occasions. You know, they're they're not above doing that potentially. And I think Ohio State is really the one that holds all the cards here. If they were to make a move in some capacity, is the Big Ten really going to kick them out? And what if Penn State? Yeah, what I mean, if Penn State and Michigan decided to follow suit with them? Is the Big Ten really going to kick those schools out? I don't think so. They're biggest money makers. Yep. So if they somehow decided to do that and say, "Well, screw you, Big Ten. We're going to do what we want to do," that would be very, very interesting and something I would want to follow very closely. The other thing, uh, going off that is, uh, Big Ten and Pac-12 want to play spring season. All these. G5 schools. Everybody who's not playing a fall season wants to play a spring season. Uh, I don't know about you, but I, I I, don't think a spring season is all that viable. I mean, are we really expecting, because they want to start in January possibly, are we really expecting in January for the COVID situation to be any better? Are schools even going to be on campus in January? And then with a spring season, you're saying it's not safe enough to play during the pandemic, but safe enough for the players to play two seasons in one calendar year. And then you got a bunch of other logistical things. That's a nightmare to figure out. I, I, I don't think it's, I just don't think it's viable. And I think it's more to appease people by saying, yeah, we're going to try in the spring, but once the spring comes, it's not going to happen. Yeah. I, just to summarize that, you pretty much said what I was going to say. It's just a, a tactic to appease people. They're not actually going to have a spring season, just like they had no plans to have a fall season. So I, I wouldn't, if you're banking on a spring season actually happening, I, I wouldn't do that. I would I would put that to bed pretty quickly in your mind. And also, even if we did have a spring season, most of the players would be 
most of the good players anyway would go to the NFL. They wouldn't stick around for a for a spring season. Guys like Justin Fields, Pat Fryermuth, you know, players like that. They're 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 gonna go pro. So it'd be kind of like a watered down spring season, regardless. And no no offense to, I I mean, all the non NFL guys, but all that's gonna lead to is honestly probably not great football. Sure, games will be there'll be close games between teams that probably shouldn't be close and stuff like that. But there's going to be a lot of sloppy football, and it it's not exactly going to be a uh, product that you're going to want to pos- people will watch because it's college football. But you understand what I'm saying. And the other thing is, is if you're a team like well, I, I'm trying to Penn State for example, Sean Clifford. As of right now, he's going to be. The top quarterback return in the Big Ten in 2021? Tanner Morgan. Tanner Morgan. Morgan is more. I thought Morgan's a senior. Is he a senior? I actually don't know what he is. Uh, I'm looking it up right now. Uh, he's a redshirt junior, but there's rumors Morgan could be one of those guys who goes off to the NFL this year. So let's say, okay, so top two quarterbacks are Morgan and possibly Morgan and uh, Sean Clifford. If you're Michigan or Penn State, are you going to risk your starting quarterbacks in the spring season just for them, for possibly not having them in the fall season? What happens if you lose a key player in the spring season with a ACL injury? That's going to knock them out throughout the fall season. And let's be honest, hopefully the fall season is involved next year Bowl games and playoff. Are you going to risk uh, jeopardizing your fall season, which would obviously be the more important season for an eight-game spring season? I mean, if if I'm uh, if I'm teams like the only thing that make that would make me want to play spring season is the money that your program needs. Beyond that, I don't know if I'm risking my top players in a spring season. I mean, listen, if these kids want to play, they're going to play. You know, if Sean Clifford wants to play football, Franklin's not going to sit him. But, I mean, I agree with you. You know, first of all, from the health standpoint, which is the biggest issue here, it's not feasible to expect these kids to play a spring season, turn it around three, four months later, and start playing a fall season. You know, you're, you're, you're asking for more injuries. You're asking for more severe injuries. You know, football's a very physical, violent sport. These kids need time to recover. The off season is a vital time for them. And it's not fair to ask them to turn it around that quickly. You know, if you're going to talk about the health risk of COVID, you have to talk about the health risk of playing four months after a spring season. So I don't like, like I said, I don't think this is going to be an issue because I don't think a spring season is actually going to happen. So I don't think this is something we really have to worry about because I'm, I'm in my head, I'm 90% sure that a spring season is, is not going to be something that happens. Fully agree. Um, I I do have this, uh, say there's a spring season, uh, or, with the possibility of spring season, would you rather an eight game spring season and a 10 game, eight to 10 game fall season, or do you rather no spring season and a 12 game fall season? Hopefully somewhat amount of good crowds on hand. Give me the fall season. I, you know, for the player's sake and just for college football's sake, I understand the financial aspect of maybe spring brings in some revenue. 
Just give me a full-on fall season. Trust me, the stadiums are going to be packed across the country. You know, yep. people at that point will be absolutely foaming at the mouth for a full slate of college football. You know, it, it, it the, the return is going to be absolutely electric. I cannot wait for the first time that I can go back into a full Beaver Stadium to watch a football game. But even if it's only half capacity or 25% capacity or whatever, it's still going to be better than an empty spring and then, you know, maybe maybe a fall. So I'd rather have just the full-on fall season. I fully agree. And I think we've uh, beaten to death this uh, cancel this recent news and discussion. So uh, let's go back to what we originally uh, did on this podcast a lot, and that's talk recruiting. Um, l- let's get the f- major question out of the way first. What does the rest of the recruiting calendar look like? I mean, we, we know right now that uh, through September, no recruiting visits allowed. Um, I mean, if students are going to stay on campus, I think you have to allow uh, visits some point this fall. Uh, but I, I don't think that's going to happen. So are we going to have no official visits at all in the class of 2021? It's what it feels like right now. I mean, that's what it's trending towards, which is kind of unfortunate. You know, it's going to affect a lot of kids' decisions. And, you know, official visits are a really cool experience that, you know, these kids should get to get to have. It really helps them figure out where they want to go and where they best fit with a program. Mm-hmm. So that's unfortunate from that standpoint that they're kind of making this decision almost blindly. But, yeah, it, it feels like, you know, are they still going to have a signing day in December is my biggest question. You know, the early signing day, which was a great addition, in my opinion, in a normal year. You know, does does it make sense to have that right now with everything going on, or do you just cancel that signing day and just have the one in February? I I think I think you allow I think you'd still allow it because I think there are still be players who um, are going to be ready to sign, but I I think the one possibility is is there's going to be a good amount of recruits that maybe don't even sign on national sign day that we're used to in February. And since after they can, since they can sign anytime after that, perhaps, um, I, I don't know what the full NCA rule is on it. Currently, perhaps the NCA, if it's not already allowed, allows official visits for the class of 2021 to occur after that. If it's safe to do so next spring, that is an option. And I think if, if they can allow officials at some point, they absolutely should. You know, it's it's only fair oh, for these. Yeah, it's I only fair I mean, for these recruits, but I mean, there are cases of recruits across the country g- paying their own way to go out and visit campuses across the country, um, and they'll like FaceTime their coach, FaceTime coaches rather there. But you're still not getting the face-to-face interaction. You're not getting the full experience. You're getting really just what would be an unofficial visit. Uh, minus the coaching staff, but it's it, it's a question that's going to continue on for a couple for the foreseeable future until we really get answers. Uh, but let's transition to recruiting updates here. Um, I think the big one is um, not inv- even involved in the class of 2021, but the class of 2022. Um, I'll let you take this. Yeah, so it really doesn't get much bigger than this from the standpoint of, 
he's the number one player in the class of 2022. So uh, Quinn Ewers is his name. He is a quarterback from Texas. You know, Texas is as big as it gets in high school football. A five-star kid. He's one of the biggest – he's the biggest quarterback prospect since Trevor Lawrence. And we all know how Trevor Lawrence um, panned out in college. National champion, future number one pick potentially. Uh, Quinn Ewers has that type of potential. And – he committed to the University of Texas, so his home state school. He's been a Texas fan since childhood, I believe, in his graphic. He had a picture of him when he was like five or six years old in a Texas uniform. So this kid was a lifelong Texas fan. This kid had offers from all over the country. Like I said, he's the number one prospect regardless of class. And, um, yeah, so he's going to be a Texas Longhorn. That's a big pickup for Tom Herman because he, he's a guy that's been, you know, Texas has been struggling a little bit this year in terms of recruiting, so – in terms of 2022, yeah. uh, this is this is a huge pickup, and he could attract a lot of different players, you know, to Texas. You know that when you're a five-star quarterback and the number one player, you, you hold a lot of water with recruits, and recruits tend to follow you places. Yeah, and everything we see with uh, quarterbacks, who usually com- the power, the big quarterbacks who come in early, is they usually stay committed to their programs. Uh, but yeah, that's a huge pickup for Tom Herman. I mean. Uh, he he's sometimes struggled with keeping elite talent in the state of Texas, and uh, by getting used, that's yours. That's a that's a huge uh, statement for Texas, like you said. And um, obviously, still a long time till he can put pen uh, to paper, but um, it's a great start for that 2022 class. Uh, since we're talking about class of 2022. Uh, a couple other four-star commitments have happened in the last uh, couple weeks. Uh, uh, no, there's uh, Atlanta, Georgia tight end um, Holden Stace. He committed to uh, Penn State on uh, Friday. No, what was that? Thursday. Thursday, I believe. Thursday, he com- Thursday he committed. Uh, the second four-star rec- uh, tight end to commit to the Ninny Lions, uh, joining uh, Wisconsin tight end. Uh, Jerry Cross. Um, so uh, we know Penn State's been a tight end uh, power really uh, for the last four or five years. And the, it looks like they're going to continue. They also have a 2023 tight end, uh, Matthias Barnwell committed. Um, so Nitty Lions continue rolling. Any thoughts on stays or cross? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, for obviously for Penn State, the 2021 class has been a little underwhelming right now, but the 2022 class has been off to a bang. They're the number th- they're the number three ranked class right now in 2022. Obviously, it's extremely early, so you really can't base it off of that. But you know, they have a, a couple of four star commits. They have um, four commits in total, which is like the second highest number. And uh, yeah, um, yep. tight end has been um, you know very uh, competitive for Penn State right now, and. Um, you know, Holden Stays is a very, very good tight end. Jerry Cross is a great compliment to him as more of a receiving tight end. Holden Stays is more of your all-around kind of tight end. He's drawing some comparisons to Pat Fryermuth, and I think he's going to actually rise in the rankings as we go along here. But, you know, uh, Penn State's recruiting at a national level at the tight end position right now, and it shows by the fact that their tight end class is already done, and uh, it's over a year before they could even sign. Yeah, I uh, fully agree with that. Uh, some other 2022 commitments here. Uh, Minnesota continues to recruit very well. Uh, they picked up uh, uh, Lakewood, Ohio, uh, four-star defensive end Trey Bixby this week. Uh, LSU picked up a nice big commitment out of Shone Washington, a four-star defensive tackle. 
Um, anything else here? Uh, Miami last week picked up a commitment from Brandon Cleveland, a four-star defensive tackle as well. Aha State continues to recruit at insane levels. They picked up uh, in-state four-star linebacker Gabe Powers. Texas picked up uh, four-star receiver Faison Wilson uh, at the end of last month. So him and Ewers is a great uh, way to start that class. Um, let's go to 2021, where I think the biggest news in 2021 um, isn't any individual commitment, but it's the fact that um, when we started this, but not even when we started, back in May, the Alabama recruiting class was probably about 50th in the country. And since then, they've risen to the number two in the country. And they, in 24-7 sports, is a team composite rankings. Uh, Alabama's only eight points behind Ohio State, who we thought was going to run away here in the, cla- in the class of 2021. Um, what what have you what have you thought about this? Yeah, I mean, I was gonna say just today, Alabama has gotten two more commits in the class of 2021, and they're two really good ones. So uh, earlier today, uh, defensive end Monkel Goodwine, who is a guy that I think I forget where he's ranked right now, but he's a, he's a mid four star in the composite, and it's been said on the site that he's only gonna rise. So he's a quickly rising guy. He could potentially be a five star by the end of the cycle. He just committed to Alabama today out of Maryland. And uh, the second best Juco player in the country, Kyrie Jackson, he's a cornerback. He also just committed to Alabama not too long ago, actually, maybe like an hour or so ago. So uh, Bama has just been rolling along ever since May. And their class, you know, this is just the power of Nick Saban right here. You know, they've gotten five stars, uh, Tommy Brockermeyer and his brother, James Brockermeyer, who's a four-star center. They were from Texas. Uh, Damon Payne, a five-star from Michigan, defensive tackle. You know, they just, like, they've had other guys too, but the those are the recent pickups, and they've just been they've just been rolling, and they're just going to continue to do so in this class, I think. They could contend with Ohio State, potentially, for the best class. I, I 100% agree. Uh, the way they're going, I mean, them and Ohio State are both, uh, they're divided by eight points, separated by eight points here, um, but they have the same amount of commitment, so... Um, Whoever wins this battle, it may just come down to uh, whoever has the most commitments. Um, but also, we, since we haven't talked about recruiting probably in two months, the last time we talked about recruiting, there was uh, a lot of abnormal schools in the top 10 or top 15. Uh, but since then, uh, the top 10 has kind of developed into what you expect year in and year out. Uh, the current top 10 is as following, according to 24-7 Sports' uh, Team Composite Rankings. Uh, number one, Ohio State. Number two, Alabama. Three, Clemson. Four, LSU. Five, Oregon. Six, Tennessee. Seven, Florida. Eight, USC. Nine, Miami. And ten, Michigan. Uh, but right on the doorstep of ten is uh, North Carolina at 11. Um, but I, I, I think it's safe to say... Um, we see that type of start every year with, like, Minnesota, North Carolina, again, off to hot starts in recruiting. But they just can't keep it up uh, at that pace to stay in those top ten. And it doesn't take anything away from their classes. But um, this this cycle has fallen back into where you expected, you would say, no? 
Oh yeah, no, it's definitely fallen into what you'd expect. That top ten is, you know, the cream of the crop, like the teams you'd expect there. I think the team I've been most impressed with in terms of recruiting has definitely been Miami. I don't remember if they've been in the top ten. I forget where they were last time we talked about them, but you know, they've recently gotten two kids, two five star kids to stay home. And they almost got a third, but he went to Florida. We'll talk about him in a second too. But um uh, five-star athlete James Williams. He projects as a safety at the next level. He was he had multiple crystal balls to go to Georgia, and then out of nowhere, he just committed to Miami, and that was a big pickup for them. And then five-star defensive tackle Leonard Taylor, another guy who was projected to go to Florida, had a couple of crystal balls, and then those started flipping back to Miami. So, you know, for a team that had a really bad year last year, they've really... You know, they've really turned it around and they're really uh, putting together a really nice recruiting class this year, sitting at number nine in the country. Yeah, and really, I mean, North Carolina being at 11 maybe is, if you told me at the beginning of the cycle, would have been a little shocking. But, I mean, they've been they've been a program that recruited well in the past. Are they recruiting higher than they probably ever have? Probably, but uh, beyond that, I think the only real outlier in all of this is all the way down to number 30, which is Penn State. I mean, yeah, Penn State's been a program for the last five years or so. You expect to be at least in the top 15, if not uh, climbing towards that top 10 mark. Yeah, I mean, for Penn State, it's been a little bit disappointing this cycle. Uh, they still got a couple of top targets on the table. Uh, guys like Nolan Rucci, Derek Davis Jr., uh, Kelvin Gilliam, even though he's looking like an Oklahoma lean at this point, probably more of an Oklahoma lock than anything, but his announcement's on August 22nd, which is my birthday, so that's a little disappointing. But, um, yeah, so, you know, Penn State has had a little bit of a down cycle, but there's still an opportunity for them to turn it around and climb up into the rankings, but we'll see what happens. And, uh, yeah, like uh, you said, they, they've missed on a few guys, but there's still a few guys out there they can land. Uh, but it's also worth pointing out that they only have 13 commitments so far in the class. Um, I know it's not supposed to be a huge class for Penn State this year, so it's never going to be a top 10, top, or maybe even a top 15 class because of that. But um, it it's I it, it's safe to say Penn State fans are frustrated with this class because they have missed on quite a few top targets that you expected them to land. Yeah, I agree. It's been frustrating from that standpoint, but you know, there's, I'm trying to find the right way to say this, you know, there's, um, I think the criticism is a little unfair at certain junctures. Like, like you said, it's going to be a small class. And I think the situation with COVID and the pandemic, you know, they've, Penn State sells itself if you can get kids on campus, and the coaching staff is top-notch when it comes to relationships. But if you can't get the kids on campus, Penn State, a lot in a lot of cases, is just considered a school in the middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania. So I think that really hurts Penn State from that standpoint, and it makes it really tough to recruit some of these kids that haven't been to campus before. But And that, that was about to be just what I was about to say. I was going to say... Other thing you have to consider with Penn State and even some other campuses and schools across the country is some of these schools are legitimately in the middle of nowhere. Penn State's in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing around Penn State except farmland and mountains. It's not easy to get to if you're coming from out of state. It's not easy to get to if you're in state. 
So sometimes the only ways they get kids on campus is through official visits. And they haven't had that this year. Um, but they're all too good to start in 2022, so we'll see if the Nittany Lions can rebound. Um, the 2022 class uh, for them has a chance to be really good. Um, any other recruiting topics you want to cover? No, I think that pretty much covers everything that we wanted to talk about. So transition on uh, out of here, Dylan. Yeah, I think I agree with that. Uh, so, I mean, as of right now, Anthony, we we have some football to look forward to. Um, I mean, we, me and Anthony haven't broken down what our future episodes are going to look like. I think we're both waiting answers on what – the other three power five conferences are going to do, but uh, perhaps we will preview those conferences uh, in the upcoming episodes. Um, if not, I, I I think we are going to have to get a little creative here. Um, I, I think we have a lot of good ideas that we've been throwing around. I don't want to spoil anything, uh, but I think um, either way, if we have football or we don't have football, it's going to be an exciting fall for a, uh, us here on the uh, First and Beer podcast. Absolutely, yeah. We want to uh, find new and different ways to engage with any listeners that we may have. We want to try to expand what we do and just try to show off our creative side. And, you know, we, we do love football and we're more than willing to do certain things in order to um, get things out there for you guys to enjoy, especially when we're all going to be craving football content. Exactly. And, uh, I mean, if football is played, I'm not going to complain. Uh, it will give us plenty of content to talk about and uh, plenty of sports to watch. Uh, but, yeah, so we'll see what happens. Uh, if you've uh, been tuning in to us over the last few months, thanks for being a continuous listener. If you're new to uh, the podcast, well, make sure to subscribe to the podcast be sure to share it with your friends follow us on twitter at first underscore um and underscore beer i'll leave that in the com- in the comment uh not comments in the description um and uh yeah uh be sure to continue to stay following us we'll be tr- i think trying to post content at least once a week maybe once every um uh, 10 days if not once a week, uh, we want to stay active with us, but at the same time, we don't want to put out bad content. If we put out content and what we want it to be good, we want it to be a quality conversation. Um, and I, I think Anthony would fully agree with that. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, we, we, we take pride in what we do and we want it to sound good for you guys. Exactly. And we're going to try to get some other voices on, uh, we do have some uh, news uh, to announce uh, coming up in the future, maybe next episode. Uh, but we'll try to get some other people on as well, get some new voices in here. And we're just gonna we're gonna have to try to have fun with this, with football, without football. Uh, so yeah, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>